Hello and welcome to KIOS at the Movies. I'm your host, Joshua LeBure, and today I'm here with a special guest to discuss the film Honeyland. Honeyland is a film that transcends observational cinema or cinema verte and lands in some almost otherworldly realm as an epic in the form of a quiet, understated story. The film speaks to human emotion, our relationship with nature, with other humans, and reflections on isolation and loneliness, not so much with words, but with sweeping images of landscapes and close-ups of Haddage's face as she lives, takes care of her mother, and as we follow her in North Macedonia as she practices ancient beekeeping. The film becomes an allegory as she tries to teach some new neighbors how to raise bees in harmony, and as they don't listen to her advice, we see how man's carelessness and how our man-made capitalism forces people into desperation and leads to the destruction of our home, this earth, and the very ways we keep ourselves alive. The film was recommended to me by filmmaker Maureen Maloney, director of the upcoming film Voice of Vanilla, about women vanilla farmers in Madagascar and I asked her why she picked this film for us to watch. It validated this hypothesis that I had for a, for a film structure, which was, you know, having a, a purely observational film that just through the telling of someone's story illuminated a major theme, a, not not just a theme, but like an, like an educational point, like a you know, a lesson, (laughs) like a real life allegory, you know, and, but, you know, without talking heads, without interviews or, or any of that, just purely through the unfolding of this person's life, you learn an important lesson about uh, this global issue, which in, which in the case of Honeyland is really this runaway capitalism and that it can also just be really moving, really beautiful, really humorous at parts. You know, I, I had that, that idea that you could do that with a film, but I've never really seen it done until Honeyland. And I knew the second that I saw it, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to admit this to you, Josh. I, cried like a baby afterwards not just because the beautiful beautiful ending the sad ending but but having seen it done I was just like it it was done it's been done like and there it is and it's so perfect and also like probably some some level crying because I'll never be able to achieve that. I'll never be able to make anything that beautiful or that perfect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is where the bar is now. And I must, I'll work the rest of my life to reach it. I will say that this type of film is my favorite type of documentary. This is the mm. kind of aspiration that I always have going into a lot of the films that I want to make and that I have made that I like to. I like when films feel like they're lived in, like you're living in a space and you're kind of experiencing what the people are experiencing. And 
I think the reason why I put off this film for so long is for some reason, Honeyland or the title Honeyland or something like I just pictured that it was going to be this talking head film Mm. about, you know, the honey industry. And like, I love all types of documentaries. I love ones that are for information delivery. I like ones that are about food production. But, you know, my favorite type of documentary are the kind that really treat a story as cinema. As soon as this film started, I was like, oh, and this film really is cinema. I mean, it's art. It's beautiful. It's it's about human beings and how we interact with not only nature and food, but also the relationships we have with family and our neighbors, literally, (laughs) in this film. I'm curious how you're taking some of these lessons of this film and just some of the tone and, and some of the way that, you know, the humanity really shows through and how you're bringing it into voice of vanilla one of the biggest things for me is the pacing they 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 really slow it down especially at the beginning god there's so i mean the editing is incredible there's so much there with the timing with the comedic timing but then also like these long sweeping shots of of traveling her traveling across the countryside i i don't know there there's definitely a lot that i'm going to take away from that film, I think, in terms of timing. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, I'm curious uh, where you're at in the production of, you know, your film and and some of the relationships maybe that you've already made while making your film. And I know that we're in a weird moment right now with COVID and you're making a film based in Madagascar, so it's very hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're not traveling right now. But um, yeah, let's just, I want to dive into some of the production stuff that you're working on. There's definitely going to be some very specific ways in which this film is is extremely different from Honeyland. One thing was that because there, there are so many issues that we're dealing with when it comes to vanilla. I mean, the, the climate change, my original thought, that is still definitely an issue, but we're also dealing with... Um, with, with corporate uh, intervention, we're dealing with, with government corruption, and we're dealing a lot with the, the leftover impacts of colonialism. And, I, you know, part of me feels like to completely leave any of these things out would be to, to really, you know, to, to, be, to be leaving out important chunks of what this story is. But how do you include all of that? Well, one way that I have found, and I, I found this through the research done by a really great um, anthropologist, uh, Sarah Osterhout, who's actually come on to the film as a producer. She lived in a vanilla community uh, that that has found a really successful balance with preserving the environment and having a, a more uh, food and financially stable life. Still not super duper stable, but more than a lot of the, the communities. And one of the reasons is they have these storytellers called Tangalamena. They have this, this very ingrained culture of storytelling called Tantara, which is very performative. So instead of having interviews, I'm going to be filming these Tangalamena tell the stories, which they do to the community. And these stories have the lessons, they have the history in them. 
And so this is a way where we're going to be weaving this tantara in with the observational footage. And that's going to allow us to highlight some of these specific issues without having talking head interviews, you know, and, and it's still authentic to the culture and the people. It's not something we're just inserting in there, you know. Uh, I did want to kind of touch back to something you mentioned earlier uh, that I do find it really interesting that um, vanilla has become so ubiquitous and then, but it's like such a delicate thing. And then I also think about, mm. you know, it's very similar with honey. I come from the coffee industry. It's another very mm-hmm. like delicate, hard to grow thing that is very intensive that has become commodified in a lot of ways. And then chocolate, you know, it's like a lot of these things. How do we go back and think about the specialness? I feel like it's happening in chocolate mm-hmm. and it's happening in coffee, but I feel like honey is going the other way. It's becoming more commodified. They're putting it in more and more things. And then vanilla is still just kind of considered boring, even though it's a really expensive, hard to grow, beautiful thing. That is a really good question. I mean, definitely one of the things that I hope to accomplish with this film is a greater appreciation for where our food comes from, not just vanilla, but actually everything. You know, I I hope that people start to think more broadly about their food and wondering where it comes from. One of the really crazy things that has happened since I've started making this film and I've started talking to a lot of people who've worked in agriculture abroad or um, scientists who've studied things like coffee or chocolate, things like that, is that I've started learning about all these different crops that I never thought about that have very similar situations where you might have like a, a huge corporation really controlling the prices and what happens and then kind of screwing over the farmers um, but then going in to to offer charity to them you know what I mean but but also this leftover colonial influence as somebody I just spoke to somebody the other day who had worked in agriculture in the Cormorooks and the they have the their vanilla is yalang yalang so the French went in there, wiped out all their other crops, said, you grow yalang yalang now. And that was it. And then when the French left, you know, they, they, they're now, uh, they, they rely on imports of food and stuff. Cause they don't, they no longer grow their own food. Everything was replaced with yalang yalang, which, you know, and, but uh, other places it's cashews and, you know, it, it, it's just crazy. These things are really happening all over the world. And actually to, to bring up the, the farm protests in India, right now they have a system in which the government controls the prices uh, so that corporations can't fiddle with the prices. Corporations can't hoard products, which is exactly what we're seeing in all these other cash crops. So they're completely valid in being worried about this because this is what happens. Yeah, that's definitely something I remember in the coffee industry a few years ago, and it's probably still happening, but I'm not in the industry anymore, so I'm not as tapped in. Um, But Mm. in the coffee industry, there were such low commodity prices for coffee that thousands of farmers were just burning their crops and just being like, we're out. Like, we just can't afford to do this anymore. 
Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of a disaster. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, the same has happened with vanilla. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you go to a coffee shop and buy, or go to a grocery store and buy a six dollar bag of coffee, that's like a pound of coffee. That's the reason why it's six dollars is because people are getting in, insanely low commodity pricing and those are set by the giant companies like Folgers and Hills Brothers and whatever else like Nestle mm-hmm. giant coffee buyers yeah. so when you go to a coffee shop and spend like $20 or $25 on a bag of coffee you know that you're getting something very different um but mm-hmm. I did want to touch a little bit on because your film is specifically about women vanilla farmers and you know, our main character in, in Honeyland is a woman and her relationship with the food and the honey and the people in the city at the market is so different than how the dad of the family that rolls into town, you know, comes in and steals her honey and cuts down her tree, is violent with the bees and violent with the cows. And I, I think that there's an important lesson here just as far as like, uh, you know, women in charge of these, you know, uh, whether it's farming or politics, you know? Um, you know what, originally um, I was motivated to focus on the women because, you know, I, I knew that when it comes to the impacts of things like climate change, they, they, it impacts women a lot more uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but then when, you know, watching news stories about vanilla, there, there's always a focus on men. If they talk to the, the farmers, they talk to the men. And then this is an issue in, in policy making too. A lot of times policies are made without the input of women, even though they're the ones largely being impacted by these things. So that was sort of my, my original, you know, reasoning for wanting to focus specifically on women but then getting into vanilla, I realized there really is a lot of, there are a lot of women working in vanilla, both on the, the growing, the cultivation side, but also then when it gets to the curing part, that's almost all women. And the thing is, so vanilla is difficult to grow in that it takes a long time. It's very meticulous, but you don't need a lot of physical strength to do it. And so even for older women, and there's a lot of older women farmers, this is something that they can do. This is a way that they can make a good living. And so for me, that makes it even more important to to show what the needs of these women are, what their lives are like, what they deal with, to, to preserve this as something that they can continue doing. Uh, so that was that was really my focus. But you're right. I mean, uh, research has shown that when communities uh, invest in women, those communities improve on a variety of metrics. Is there anything else you want to say about Honeyland? I can't think of anything else that I, that I want to say about that film. I, I I okay. I will say this. I'm jealous because they stumbled into that. I, I think you've, you've probably been like me and like watching all the behind the scenes and the making of and that they were just out there making a, an environment film for Macedonia, something about, you know, a tourism kind of a thing. And they came across this honey 
these honey honeycombs and we're like who how did this get here and you saw the woman and they just decided to start filming her just because she seemed interesting and then out of nowhere six months after you know they start filming her this family rolls up and just this incredible story just falls into their lap <laughs> like what here i am like oh my gosh Oh, I haven't watched I, yeah, I haven't watched any of the behind the scenes stuff yet, but like the whole time I was watching the film, I was like, man, these people like finding this amazing woman and this amazing story that's happening. Yeah. You know, that's really like it's it's a lot of luck that happened there. And I'm glad that it happened. Oh, let's just say that I have put a lot I have put a lot of time and energy into finding my characters and finding the story and crafting the story. And uh, so, yeah, I think I'll always be a little bit jealous of this story. Uh, just, just, just fell into their lap. Yeah. I feel Yeah. I agree. 100%. Uh, <laughs> and to just know that, Hey, there's, I think that part of it is just, you know, listening to people and seeing oh there's a story here and it doesn't have to be an extraordinary story on the surface but it can become an extraordinary Mm -hmm. story just by focusing on maybe the quiet people who are just doing interesting things and that could happen in your backyard that could be some that could be your next door neighbor yeah you know yeah or it could be you know random honeycombs you find in (laughs) in another country uh one of the things I love about this film and a lot of documentaries uh, similar to this are just finding the beautiful in the everyday and, and what generally people would consider unextraordinary because everyone has an extraordinary story. Mm. Right now, Voice of Vanilla, you're in the middle of a crowdfunding campaign and it's looking pretty strong, but where can people find uh, that campaign and how they can support the film and help it come to fruition? Yeah. Um, we are on Seed and Spark for our crowdfunding campaign right now until April 14th. So uh, you can just go to seedandspark.com and, and look up Voice of Vanilla. Um, besides that, you can find us on our website, voiceofvanilla.com uh, at any time. And we've got you know some behind the scenes videos and photos and more information about our incredible team that we have working on this film. Um, So yeah, please uh, check that out. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and and finally making me watch Honeyland (laughs) on my list for a long time. I'm so glad that you loved it. Thank you for having me. Honeyland is now streaming and Voice of Vanilla has a Seed and Spark campaign. For KIOS, I'm Joshua LeBure.